guys. Of course, we don't know what the weather is going to do tonight, but assuming God allows us to be able to meet, uh, this is our fifth Sunday night, and basically it's an opportunity to hear from all of you. Some people sing, some people share a testimony, some people share something meaningful to them. But anyway, it's just an opportunity. So I encourage you, if you can, to come and be a part of that. It's always a blessing. I love to hear what God's doing among all of you. And so let's uh, stay in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. So we continue our study, correspondence from the king, looking at these seven churches. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this letter written to a church long ago, Father, there are words here I think every church needs to hear. And I just pray you speak to us as your church, Father, as we are given a warning and a reminder from the church at Sardis, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you continue to work among us in this time that is set apart for you. It's not just a ritual. It's it's not just a segment of time. It is to be an encounter with a living God. That's what we want. So, Father, may that be what happens, Lord. May our hearts be drawn to you. And may you draw us to the altar, Father, to say yes to whatever your call is. Guide us in what remains. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago in the Sarasota, Florida newspaper, there was an article that dealt with a police report. An elderly lady there in Sarasota was coming out from shopping, and she couldn't believe what she saw. There were four young men in her car, and they had started the car, and they were getting ready to drive off. And this lady said, I have waited and I have trained for a time such as this. I am licensed to carry and I'm prepared to fire it. And so she yells out as they're getting ready to drive off. I have a gun and I know how to use it. Get out of the car now. And these four guys, they jump out of the car and they take off running. She's really shook up. She takes her cart. She goes over to the car. She 
loads the groceries. She gets in the car. She takes her key. and She's so nervous. She's desperately trying to get it in the ignition to crank the car. But the key won't go in the ignition. And then she realizes, this is not my car. And so she gets out of the car and she notices four parking spaces down her car. So she feels horrible. So she drives down to the Sarasota police station to turn herself in. And as she comes down to the police station, she tells her story to the sergeant. And he is laughing so uncontrollably that uh, she's barely able... (laughs) To share her account. And uh, here's what the police officer said. Lady, we didn't believe four guys who came in here earlier. (laughs) Reporting a carjacking by a person they described as a little old lady less than five feet tall. With curly white hair. Wearing glasses and carrying a large handgun. The article goes on to say, the moral of the story, if you're going to have a senior moment, make it memorable. (laughs) In today's message, as we look at this church, we could easily say appearances can be deceiving until you take a closer look. One commentator talked about going to Europe and looking at many of the great churches Of the past. Where pulpits were filled with gifted men of God. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Who spoke for God. And God moved in those places. Places like Wesley's Chapel. And Westminster Abbey. Where John Knox. Who had such a burden. That he prayed to the point where he said. God give me Scotland or give me death. But this commentator said as he went through such churches, what struck him, number one, was how majestic they were. They were beautiful. And the kind of places when you walked in, you just gasped. (gasps) Because of the beauty and, and reverence that naturally entered your mind. This is a holy place. But the second thing he said that struck him in these churches, in these congregations, is that now they were mostly empty. Very few believers, if any, gathered in these very majestic places. And they had become, rather than places that were alive with people, more like graveyards or mausoleums. The commentator goes on, he writes these words, he says, The visit struck me as nothing more than a visit to an indoor cemetery, a cemetery with a roof overhead. It was beautiful with impressive architecture. In fact, I walked through with a sense of hushed reverence as if perhaps I might wake someone up. (laughs) I saw pulpits and pews and services were held and ceremonies played out and prayers were made and candles were lit. However, these churches were, for the most part, dead. They were costly, manicured, magnificent indoor cemeteries. You know, it's interesting as you look at the history of Sardis. It was a magnificent place. There was so much wealth. It was the first place in the ancient world that minted gold coins for currency. 
It was the place that first invented the process to which you dyed clothes. Man, everything went from just drab black and white to color. There was some real shopping that occurred to be in style with those colored fancy clothes. And then it was a beautiful place. And evidently from our scripture, this church was also the place to be. Notice what he says here in verse 1 as Jesus talks. He says to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive. In other words, in Sardis, this was the place. Man, have you heard about this church? This is the place you need to go. Man, they've got it going on. Their schedule is packed with activity. Man, everybody who somebody is there. It's the place to go. But unfortunately, our, our Lord, as He talks to this church, He says, although you have a reputation of being alive, you're really dead. You see, the Lord is able to look through our attempts to impress one another. Our attempts to be seen as something we're not. He's able to correctly take our pulse and see if there's a real heartbeat. And he is saying to this church, you are just barely hanging on to life. You may have this reputation of being alive, but you're not alive. Fortunately, though, um, he gives a command here to strengthen. So there is still, although it's a very weak pulse, (laughs) there's a pulse. And the favorite message of such churches are, The saints go sleeping one by one. The kind of churches where on the church door it says welcome, but underneath it says, shh, might wake somebody up. As Jesus speaks to this church, He speaks to a church that has lost its real vibrancy. It wants to be seen by others, but... Wants to hide from God. What are some signs of a church that's heading that direction? Here are a couple. It begins to worship its past. In such a church, all anybody ever talks about is, remember our glory days. Remember when. Always looking back to how it used to be instead of looking ahead to what our Lord wants to do among us. You see... Um, secondly, it protect, protects its traditions rather than its doctrines. Rather than is this a conviction to die for, this is a preference we have to have around here. If you mess with that, look out. <laughs> Third, that such a church is unwilling to risk new adventures of faith. You've heard this stuff. We've never done it that way before. The timing isn't right. That's just not safe. We call, we're called to play it safe. Another one. Such a church becomes infatuated with itself rather than enamored with Christ. Look at us. Ain't I something? I've never meant to be the focus. But before you get a little, uh, you weren't either. 
the truth is our focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our mission is to be to elevate Him. And our lives are to be a testimony of that. As little Addie up here showed through the testimony of going under the water, dying to an old way of life without God, and coming out of the water and saying, it's a new life. And it's a life that belongs to Him. Ray Steadman, his commentary, wrote this. He said, Tension and struggle may be unpleasant, but at least they're signs of life. The church in Sardis was so devoid of spiritual life that it actually had no struggles going on within it. It had peace, but it was the peace of a cemetery. This is true. The church literally had it made. No troubles, but no triumphs either. This calm is the calm of hypnosis, and you'd better believe the evil one was swinging his gold watch in front of their eyes and whispering, Sleep. 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 Oh, y'all wake up. I'll put you sleep there. All right, let's look at some commands here um, from the text. Uh, rather than one officiating a funeral, Jesus Christ looks at the church and he seeks to see life. And he gives five commands toward that life. As we look at our scripture, we'll briefly look at these. Look at verse 2. The first command here that he gives is... Wake up. Hey, do not slumber. Uh, Sardis was uh, built upon a side of a cliff. And three sides of Sardis was just sheer cliff. It was impossible to come in from those three sides. And the other side was protected. And uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, in his quest to conquer Sardis, uh, defeated them in battle, and they ran back under the protection of their city, their fortress. And for days, the Persian army tried to figure out how to get in there. One night, one of the soldiers of Sardis dropped his helmet over the side. And this Persian soldier watched him as he carefully placed his hands and feet until he was able to climb down, get his helmet, and head back over the wall. This soldier gathered a few other soldiers. And they managed to climb up. Remembering the exact way that soldier came down. And found the guard sound asleep. And conquered the unconquerable city of Sardis. This would have been in the minds of the inhabitants of this city. He's saying don't be asleep. Be alert. Be awake, guys. Secondly, second imperative, he says here, is strengthen what remains and is about to die. He says, strengthen. And this is not talking about people. This is not talking about, you know, strengthen your body. It's talking about strengthening the truths of God that are in your church, in your body of believers. Take the truth of God and build upon that. Howard Hendricks, a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary, in every one of his seminary classes, he would start with this question. He said, in every generation, the church of Jesus Christ has been wrong somewhere. Do you know where it has been wrong today? What a great question. To be honest enough to say, God, where do I need to change? If we're going to be effective for you, where do I need to change. Number three. Verb here is remember. 
It literally means it's an imperative command. It literally means keep on remembering what you have received. And have we received blessing after blessing after blessing. Remember the grace of God. You and I don't deserve salvation. But he provided it through the cross, didn't he? Um, To remember the life we had before Christ. The hope that we didn't have. And now in Christ, we enjoy his strength that sustains us. He not only saved us, his word says he will sustain us as we face the trials that we face. We can never pay him back for the depth of his love and his grace. And we can never completely measure the depth of that grace and love. And we are called to walk in his truth, to be responsible, and to serve one another in Christ, and to be on mission, and to be his servants, using our talents and our skills and our abilities for him, and to be on watch for his return. This is what we're to remember. The fourth command. What our text tells us here. He says. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it. This also is in the present imperative. It means keep on obeying. Don't stop obeying. Make your life about obedience. Make your life not only about hearing from God. But doing what he says to do, right? Um, So often we quote that James chapter 1 verse 21. He says, do not be hearers only of the word of God. Do it. Put it into action, his wonderful truth. Fifthly, he simply says here, repent. Repent is to go a different direction. It is to turn toward God and to go His direction. That's what repentance is always about. When we go our direction, it's the wrong direction. And He tells the church here, it is time to move my direction and to head toward me instead of away from me. Let's look at some warnings. He shares here, look at the last part of verse 3. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what time I will come to you. The warning here, the emphasis here, is you don't know what time you will step into eternity. It may be the rapture, it may be the moment he comes back, but it may be instead of him coming in the clouds to meet us, it may be that we go first to meet him. And he says, you don't know when that's going to occur. And so you need to be ready. You need to be prepared before him. It's interesting in history. uh, There is a bishop a hundred years later named Melito. Who began to preach the wonderful truth of God. And obviously there was a revival in this church that was once dead. So that gives hope, doesn't it? No matter where we are, there is a chance to be revived. And to be renewed. Look at some incentives uh, quickly here. Look in verse... Four, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. 
Within the religions of the day, it was important to have clothes that were clean, not dirty and not soiled. And Of course, it's a picture that we too are to be clean and holy and set apart for our God. James 1 verse 27 says that religion that God our Father accepts and pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Because we're not supposed to be polluted by the world. We're supposed to be set apart for Him. Now, four incentives here. First incentive, personal companionship that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. In the Persian court, there were privileged citizens who were able to walk in the gardens of the king, those most trusted citizens, his companions. And that is the invitation that is given here. Second incentive, promise of victory over the evil one. Look at the second part of verse 4. Or verse 5 says, He who overcomes, we will overcome. It talks about the Roman armies who are victorious. And as they come back, the city is literally dressed in white as a way of proclaiming, we have been victorious conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our victor and we walk together with Him in victory. Third, the incentive of personal security. Look here in the second part of verse 5. He says, I will never blot out His name from the book of life. What a wonderful promise. God says when it's there because of Jesus, it stays there. Not because of you or me, but because of His perfect work, it stays there. And then finally, a personal introduction to the court of heaven. Not only is He said, will not blot His name out of His book, but He says, but will acknowledge His name before my Father and His angels. How humbling is that? That he will personally acknowledge you. That gives me holy goosebumps. Talk about being undeserving. Let me close just a few quick warnings. This church, although it seemed to be alive, Jesus pegged it as dead. What are some warnings we can learn from a dead church? First, it's possible to have the appearance of spiritual life without the reality of spiritual life. It's not about impressing one another. It's about being submitted to God and to His Spirit. Second, it's possible to perform for God without being transformed by not about performing for him. It's about being transformed by him. It's what he's in the process of doing. Third, it's possible to regain spiritual consciousness and revive to a ministry of spiritual vitality. Through the years, there's been a couple of times I've had people I've talked to and they've laughed and said, pause to come to church out there, preacher, the roof would fall in. It's still up. 
We can all say that testimony, right, Jerry? Um, that is the truth of the matter. He takes us where we are, not where we're not. But he loves us so much, he takes us beyond where we are in a walk with him. I close uh, with this story. Years ago, in the days of the stagecoach before cars, uh, there was a lady and she was sitting beside an older gentleman and she began humming her favorite hymn. And as she hummed, she looked across at this gentleman that was in the carriage with her. And she said, sir, why do you look so sad? This song offers so much hope. And he said, ma'am, my name is Robert Robinson. Those lyrics you were humming, they're written by me. And the words have come to haunt me. You see, because of my disobedient life, I haven't been able to sing that hymn for some time. (laughs) But the Lord would use that encounter to remind Robert Robinson he is the God of the second chance. And as I close, it reminds me of another wonderful hymn if you're looking for a new start, a second chance that comes in Christ. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's redeeming love. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May we sing that hymn instead of the saints go sleeping. One by one. He wants us to wake up. He calls us to watch for him. To remember what he has blessed us with. As he wants to strengthen us as we turn his direction to follow. Let's pray. Father, uh, now's the time, Lord, we, we call it uh, response or invitation. And all it simply means, Lord, is that we want to do more than just listen to what you are saying. We want to respond to what you are saying. And so, Father, as we consider the altar before us, maybe, Lord, you are speaking and someone needs to come at this altar and, and to, to pray. Maybe someone else needs to come before the church family and say, Boy, God's speaking to me and He wants me to speak to the people about something He's dealing with me about. Maybe you just want to come and, and have me just say a, a prayer with you. And, well, I don't know what you're up to, Lord, but I don't want to miss it. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you are free to move in this time that we stand and that we sing, that we would follow you as you call. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.